Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. All right, so confession time. How many of you guys forgot to set your clocks forward, but you still made it here on time? Anybody? Oh, we got one, two, three. Hey, how about a round of applause for those people? Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to pick on the 11 o'clock service. I can tell already it's lighter in here, so that, that'll be fun. People will be showing up at 1030 going, what? So welcome to those of you who are here, everybody who's watching online as well. So here is an age-old question. Is this glass half full or is it half empty, okay? Now, I'm going to have you raise your hand. Well, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you may not be comfortable with that. But if you're comfortable, how many of you would say you're half full glass people? Okay, raise your hands. Okay, yeah. How many of you would say, no, honestly, I'm kind of a half empty person? Yeah, there we go. We've got some honest ones. Now, some of you perfectionists out there are going, well, neither, Pastor. It looks about 60% full to me. <laughs> Uh, 67, thank you. There are always a few in every crowd. Okay, here you go. Ah, perfect. Ooh, I like hearing that word, perfect. Now, here's what's fascinating about this question, and we all know this, don't we? You're looking at the same glass. We're all looking at the exact same glass, but we can have a different perspective on it. Same glass, different perspective. Now, just a little transparency up front. By nature and by personality, throughout the course of my life, I've tended to be a half-empty kind of person. That's just who I am. My instinctive gut reaction, the knee-jerk reaction is, man, i got to prepare for worst-case scenario here. I think about all the things that could possibly go wrong. And you know what? At times, that can actually be a good thing. It can protect a person. It can make a person a little more realistic than idealistic. And there's nothing wrong with that part. But where we cross the line is when our pessimism begins to undermine God's sovereignty and undermine God's power and undermine God's goodness. And in fact, from a purely psychological perspective as well as a biblical perspective, focusing on a half-empty glass, it's not good for your health and it's not honoring to God. And so in this series, what I want to do is I want to show you why that is and then tell you how we can renew our minds in a healthy, God-centered way. And let me begin with a passage that we're going to come back to repeatedly in this series. Right, it's found over in Philippians chapter 4. And this is written by the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, was a man who was beaten, left for dead, starved, imprisoned, tortured, the whole bit. And I want you to listen to what this guy says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Wow. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, what Paul is saying is this. If you want joy and peace in your life, you better focus on the good stuff. What's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. Now, that is definitely a glasses half full kind of perspective. But let me just give a little disclaimer up front here. I don't think this means we go through life with some kind of a Pollyanna attitude. You know, it doesn't mean we pretend there are no hardships. It doesn't mean we don't experience sorrow. Not at all. This same Apostle Paul said this over in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but what? Say it with me. Mourn with those who mourn. So we don't deny or avoid pain and hardship. What this means is that even in the midst of difficulties and sadness, we can lift our heads and say, I'm good. I'm good. It means we believe the promise of Romans 8, 28, that in the end, God is taking even the cruddy circumstances of our lives, and he's going to use them for good. Listen to this. And we know, not we wonder, not we hope, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is super important. Paul does not say that all things are good. Sickness, depression, violence, abuse, none of those things are good in and of themselves. But God can use them to accomplish good things in our lives. So no matter what you may be going through circumstantially, you can look at the glass of life and say, in the final analysis, it's good. It's all good. Now, I think this truth helps us to explain some tough Bible passages. Sometimes we struggle with these. Like when James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Now, that's not the way we typically think. Oh, wow, here comes some troubles. That's going to make me joyful. It says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Or how about this one? They, this is the Jewish religious leaders, called the apostles in and had them flogged. Not a pleasant experience. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. When's the last time you were beaten by someone and left that place rejoicing? Like, yay, I just got beaten for Jesus. I am so happy. What is that all about? Well, clearly, these guys were either masochistic or they had a different perspective on the glass, didn't they? See, this proves it's not about the glass. It's about your perspective on the glass. It's not about your circumstances. It's about your perspective on those circumstances. So how do we get in touch with all this? Well, I want to say up front here that in this series, I don't want to get bogged down with all the distinctions we make between the terms we throw around, you know, happiness, joy, peace, contentment, and so on. At the end of the day, I'm just going to boil it down to this. No matter what happens to you, can you say, I'm good? Like, I'm good. Not, I'm ecstatic, and not, I'm depressed. Those are both very real. But what I'm after 
is a deep sense of joy and peace and contentment that is in your soul. Like, can you say with the hymnist, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Now, if you spend some time researching and studying these terms, happiness, joy, peace, contentment, purpose in life, you'll find that they're all kind of interrelated and at times difficult to distinguish and define. And I've spent some time reading some of the most popular secular literature on this topic. But at the end of the day, our only source of true authority is God's Word, the Bible. And if you carefully sift through the translation issues from Greek and Hebrew into English, you'll find that God spells out everything we need to know in this book right here. So real quick, up front, I want to address a distinction between two terms that are often used interchangeably, joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. Now, generally speaking... And not always, people use these terms differently, but generally speaking, happiness is a feeling. You know, feelings are, are, are kind of hard to define, but we know them when we experience them. A feeling is an emotion, and it kind of has a pull or a push to it. It's either something pleasant and I'm drawn to it, or it's something that's unpleasant and I just don't like it. And most feelings can be categorized as either positive or negative. You know, whenever we run into somebody and we dress them, we see them, we, we often ask the question, how are you feeling today, right? We rarely ask, how are you thinking today? Although how you think is really, really important. You know, Random House College Dictionary defines our English word happy this way. It's fortunate, lucky, cheerful, characterized by or indicative of pleasure. Now, that word happy actually comes from an old Icelandic term, hap, and it's related to the terms to happen, happenings, happenstance. And so because of that, happy is therefore very, very fickle because it's sort of the feeling that I have, a feeling I like when something I like happens to me. It's very fickle because it depends on circumstances. It depends on happenstance. And if you define it in this way, happiness is beyond our control. Because those are temporal factors, like what circumstance am I going to find myself in? How are other people going to respond to me? And happiness, it's not a bad thing. In fact, one day when we all get to heaven as Christians, we're all going to be happy all the time. Because our circumstances and our feelings will be perfect. But here on earth, happiness is fleeting. Now joy, on the other hand, is different than happiness. Joy, I would say, is true contentment and serenity that comes from internal factors like our faith in the Lord. You know, authentic joy is lasting, not fleeting. And if you dig a little deeper, joy is built on other concepts like peace and purpose in life. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, joy is a choice. Now, I want to recognize here that the different people define joy and happiness in different ways. And so we're not going to get too hung up on that in this series. You know, in the secular world, oftentimes experts will speak of inner happiness, and they'll define it just the same way that we would define joy. So don't let that bother you. That's okay. Focus more on the concept of what's being talked about. And, you know, if somebody in the secular world, an expert, talks about happiness, or even a Christian uses the word happy and defines it the way I would define joy, you know, that doesn't cause me grief, especially given the fact that there is some bleed over in these terms. Okay, with that little disclaimer up front... I want to say this, there is a profound truth that's hard for us to grasp and even more difficult for us to put into practice, and it's this. 
Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. You might not be able to control happiness, but you can control joy. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes this remarkable statement in Philippians 4.4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Did you catch something here that that's an imperative? He commands us to be joyful. He commands us to be joyful always. I mean, joy is the great theme of this little New Testament book, Philippians. In fact, different words for joy are used 14 times in Philippians. And again, what's remarkable about this is that Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this. He had been beaten. He was locked up with chains. He was living in disgrace, but he couldn't stop talking about joy. In fact, Paul also said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He had learned the secret of joy and contentment. And notice it wasn't based on his circumstances. He said he found contentment in any and every situation. Now we back up from that and go, wow, is that even humanly possible? Well, you know, there's a fascinating lecture over on TED Talks. Are you familiar with TED Talks? Kind of a popular platform. And this lecture is by a Harvard psychology professor. His name is Dr. Daniel Gilbert. He wrote this book called Stumbling on Happiness. And he's considered to be one of the world's leading authorities in the secular world on happiness. And it's so fascinating because in this particular talk, Gilbert challenges the idea that we will be miserable unless we get what we want in life. In fact, he makes the point, and this is right in line with our Bible here. He makes the point that people can choose happiness or what we might call joy in life that we can choose that. And again, we're not gonna get hung up on the terminology here, but he says we have what's called a psychological immune system. Interesting phrase. He says we have a psychological immune system that enables us to feel truly joyful even when things don't go the way we had planned. And what I wanna do this morning is I wanna share an illustration with you that he uses in this talk because it's pretty powerful. And some of you may be familiar with this, but. I want you to take a look at these pictures here for just a second and contemplate these two different futures. Which one would you prefer? Okay, one is becoming a millionaire, right, winning the lottery. The other is becoming a paraplegic. So give it a moment to think about it. You know, what would you prefer? You probably don't need a moment, do you? But interestingly, there's data on these two groups of people. And which would you think would make you happier? Well, believe it or not, they had the same happiness quotient one year afterwards, one year later. So individuals who lost their legs and individuals who won the lottery, their happiness was equal a year later, becoming a millionaire, becoming a paraplegic. That's so fascinating if you think about it. Winning or losing an election, gaining or losing a romantic partner, passing or failing a test, getting or not getting a promotion. You know, believe it or not, and this kind of floors me, there was a study that was done, and they said that even as it relates to big-time trauma in your life, major life trauma and how it impacts you, if it happened over three months ago, it doesn't impact your happiness. Why? Because real lasting joy is something we choose or don't choose. 400 years ago, there was this guy named Sir Thomas Brown. 
and he wrote this. I am the happiest man alive. He said, I have that in me that can convert poverty to riches, adversity to prosperity, and I am more invulnerable than Achilles. Fortune hath not one place to hit me. Wow, what kind of remarkable ability does this guy have in his head? Well, I would say it's the same ability that we all have. Gilbert says we have what's called a psychological immune system that enables us to feel better about whatever situation that we find ourselves in in life. So like Sir Thomas Brown, we all have this, but unlike him, we seem to not know it. Right? We think joy is something to be found, but it's not. We can create joy. We can create joy. Let me show you a few examples. Maurice Bickham spent 37 years in a Louisiana state penitentiary for murder rather than self-defense. And ultimately, he was exonerated and he was released at the age of 78. Think about this. Went in at 41, got out at 78. And listen to what he had to say about his experience. He said, I don't have one minute's regret. Wow. I don't have one minute's regret. It was a glorious experience, he said. That's kind of mind-boggling to me. I mean, he didn't say, oh, yeah, nice guys in there. They had a gym. I got jacked. It was cool. No, he said it was glorious. I mean, that's a word we usually reserve for religious experiences or something. Really? How about another one? Harry S. Langerman, somebody you might have known, but you probably don't. Back in 1949, Harry picked up a newspaper article and it was about a hamburger stand owned by these brothers called the McDonald's. And so he tracks these guys down and convinces them to go franchise and says he wants to open a franchise with them, and they offer him that. And then Harry, he flies back to New York and meets with his brother, who's an investment banker, says, man, you got to loan me the money for this venture. And his brother said these immortal words. He said, you idiot. Nobody eats hamburgers. Wouldn't loan him the money, his own brother. Well, six months later, a guy by the name of Ray Kroc had the same idea. And turns out people do like hamburgers. You know, for a little while there, Ray Kroc became the richest man in the United States of America. But listen to what Harry S. Langerman had to say about this whole missed opportunity. He said this, quote, I believe it turned out for the best. Hmm. Interesting. All right, one more. How about this dream scenario? Some of you may recognize this picture here, a guy by the name of Pete Best. <laughs> Pete Best was the original drummer for the Beatles. That is, until they sent him out on an errand, snuck away, and picked up Ringo Starr on a tour. And you may not know this, but Pete Best continued his career as a musician. And years and years later, in 1994, Pete Best had this to say in an interview. He said, quote, I'm even happier than I would have been with the Beatles. Hmm. Okay, obviously, there's something really important to be learned from these individuals. It's the secret of happiness. So here it is, finally revealed. Are you ready for this? The secret of happiness. One, spend as much of your life as possible in prison, okay? <laughs> Two, make somebody else really, really rich. <laughs> and three, never, ever join the Beatles, okay? There you have it. Right, maybe not. But I'm telling you, in this series, we are going to discover the real secret of inner happiness, what we usually call joy. And surprisingly enough, it's not what you think. 
It is not simply the pursuit of joy. That actually backfires. Something much deeper. But let me back up for a second here because I know that some of us might be tempted to roll our eyes at these examples and say, yeah, right. I mean, they're not really happier. They're just saying that to cope. See, we smirk because we think that the joy that we choose is not the same quality as natural happiness or joy that comes our way. That's kind of what we think inside. But the leading research in this field, and more importantly, this book right here, suggests otherwise, that you can choose joy regardless of your circumstances and that it's very, very real. In fact, Gilbert goes on in his talk to prove scientifically that the joy you choose is just as real as the joy that happens to you. The joy you choose is just as real as the joy that happens to you. Now, all these secular studies are really just saying what God said thousands and thousands of years ago, that real joy comes from within, not from without. Now, this brings us to something that in the secular world is called the happiness paradox. Again, don't get too hung up on that word happiness. But the happiness paradox says this, I will never be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is simply for me to be happy. I'm not going to be happy if the ultimate goal of my life is simply for me to be happy. See, it turns out that inner happiness or joy is something that only comes as a byproduct when we're pursuing something bigger and better. You see, there's something more important, more significant than the happy life. It's what might be called the meaningful life. There's a big difference between the pursuit of happy and the pursuit of meaning. And happiness without meaning turns out to be very shallow, very self-centered, and it's why ultimately it just doesn't pay off. Folks, people think, I'll be happy if things go well, right? Just smooth out my circumstances. I'll be happy if my needs are met. I'll be happy if, you know, all my desires are satisfied. I'll be happy if I don't have a lot of pain, if I can avoid pain in life. I'll be happy if everybody likes me. And so then what do I do? Well, I focus then on my circumstances, don't I? And so people who don't have a job said, oh, I'll be happy when I get a job. And then they get a job and there's pressure and there's stress and there's challenges. And after a few years, they're like, man, I'll be happy when I retire. I don't have a job anymore. You know, studies in that field that have been conducted are actually pretty fascinating. You know, when people retire, happy bumps up for a while, but you know what goes down? Meaning. Because all of a sudden, they don't have some place to invest in themselves like they used to. So it backfires. Or, or people think this, I'll be happy if I just had more money, right? We talked about that last Sunday, <laughs> And then they get a chunk of money, they spend it on themselves, the bigger house, newer car, nicer, fancier vacations, and happiness bumps up temporarily, but meaning goes way down. Or people think, you know, I'll be happy when we have kids. I just want to have kids. And, and then those people end up having kids, and after a while, they got all these kids running around the house, they're like, man, I'll be happy when the kids leave home. Whew. It's so funny because I talk with people that don't have kids. People have this illusion that parenting will be a series of magical moments, right? <laughs> Chubby little arms reaching out to hug you. Brilliant children making straight A's, starring in the school play, scoring touchdowns. Hi, Mom. You know, it's interesting. If you Google the phrase, is my two-year-old blank, you know how it does the autofill for you? 
Is my two-year-old bad? What would you guess is the next most common word? Let's, let's have a little fun here. It's a little dangerous, but I'll, I'll throw it out here. What, what would you guess? Is my two-year-old what? Normal. Yeah, that came out at Sun City. <laughs> what else? Strange. Yep, that came out too. That's good. The devil. <laughs> I won't tell you who said it, but out at Sun City, somebody said, is my two-year-old mine? <laughs> that, that, that's a different story. <laughs> that's a whole nother subject for a different message. But <laughs> number one phrase. Is my two-year-old gifted? Isn't that interesting? The most searched phrase on Google is my two. Because if my two-year-old is gifted, then I'll be happy. Why? Well, it's confirmation. I'm passing along my world-class genes to a world that really needs it. You know, people have all these illusions of well, this will make me happy, right? And then people become parents, and there are dirty diapers and bottles and crying and sleep deprivation and temper tantrums. I mean, parenting, it's costly, it's exhausting, it's stressful. And when you become a parent, happy kind of bumps down. And you know when it goes back up again? <laughs> when the kids leave the house <laughs> at 18, 22, 30, <laughs> 40, uh, whatever. So <laughs> happy may go down with kids, but you know what goes way, way up? Meaning. And when people get to the end of their lives, it turns out they realize that meaning is what matters. In fact, God wired us a such a, in such a way that we will actually grow in sustainable joy when we're pursuing meaning, when there's meaningful stuff. That's how we get that sustainable joy in our lives, when we're going after meaning. In other words, and this is important, if you aim at meaning, you tend to get joy and happy thrown in. But if you aim at happy, you'll get neither happy nor meaning in the long run. So if we want to reach our joy potential as followers of Jesus, we better be looking at something that's better than the happy life, and that's the meaningful life. And so next week, we're actually going to start the sermon, and we're going to talk about some observations with regards to what leads to a meaningful life that will ultimately lead you to joy. And by the time this series is done, I believe you'll have a little different perspective on the glass. I believe you'll be able to see the positive in all circumstances, that God loves you, that God has a plan for your life, that God is in control of all things, and that God is bigger than whatever circumstances are going on in your life. And so at the end of the day, no matter what hits you, you can say, I'm good. It's well with my soul. I'm good. Let's pray together. Lord, it's been fascinating for me to think about the ways in which happy and joy and peace and contentment and purpose are all intertwined and how we so often set our sights on pursuing what'll make us happy right now, what'll satisfy the desires of our heart and, and take care of whatever it is that we're feeling, the loneliness, the, the hurt, the pain, whatever it may be. And we just chase these things around, not realizing that that will not satisfy, that the biggest mistake we can make is just going after whatever makes me feel good in the moment, whatever takes care of this longing inside of me. 
God, would you help us as we go through this series to understand that it's the meaningful life that matters and help us to be able to define what it is that we're aiming at and learn the secret of joy and contentment that Paul learned. God, we know that you're able, Lord, and we are even able psychologically, just from a purely secular perspective, to create joy just by choosing joy, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what happens to us. So God, we just thank you for this opportunity to to dig into your word, to see what you have to say to us in the coming weeks, and I pray that you'd help us to apply these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go through the day today, and you can say, I'm good. Have a great one.